did one of these? Not really. Not really. <laughs> Nothing much. Nothing's going on. I miss Donald Trump. Yes. Nothing's going on. He made it. Uh, he made it interesting. Yeah. I bought an oh, Apple well. Watch. That's that happened. Are you Are you happy? Uh, Do you like it? Do you? Eh, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I bought it so if I pass out and hit my head on the wall again, right, it will um, alert the authorities. So that's the main reason. Is that an um, app? Is that just a feature? Anyway, please go uh, ahead. It's, yeah, no, it's a feature in the Apple Watches. It's like uh, fall Foggy? detection. They call oh, it. Oh, right. Fall, okay. Yeah, fall detection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if you do too many drugs, uh, right. oh. it, it, and you fall over, you sold uh, me the watch. Yeah. <laughs> tell no, I need people one. <laughs> to bring me more too. drugs. Yeah, yeah, one of each rest. Um. So. Uh, with the recent um, departure, uh, uh, what would we call it? Yeah, withdrawal, <laughs> escape, right? Uh, Vamoose, uh, bloody clusterfuck uh, right. of the US finally removing its troops from Afghanistan after twenty years. Uh, I thought years. we should right. talk a look. Thought we should take a look. Yeah, at the yeah. history of uh, that part of the world, mm-hmm. uh, it, particularly American history in that part of the world, but American, Soviet, uh, and, and have a look at some of the myths surrounding oh, it. Um, right. But, you know, and it goes back further than this, obviously, but obviously that part of the world's had a lot of problems, mm-hmm. continues to have a lot of problems. And, and like with all these things, I think it's, useful to understand a little bit about the history of the area, why it has the problems it has, who interfered, right. why did they interfere, Everybody. how could it have yeah. been different, but also some of the myths surrounding mm. it that we've been sold uh, in the West. Yeah. So that war, the, the most recent US war over there, was fought from the 7th of October 2001 to the 30th of August 2021. Mm-hmm. 19 years, 10 months, three weeks, and two days. Yeah. Total killed is estimated as between 176 and 212,000 people. Jeez. The war was ostensibly fought for a series of easy-to-understand three-word slogans designed by Barry and Stan uh, <laughs> over the years. The right. 
Did, by the way, did you see I posted a thing? I got an email from a guy the other day. Uh, he goes, so listen, I've just listened to a bunch of your Caesar shows and I've got to ask, who the hell are Barry and Stan? <laughs> it's meta, baby. You got to go back. You got to just keep going back. Like us in these shows, like to the dinosaurs. You just got to go back. So I, uh, I I did a little blog post. Oh, good. And see if we, good. see if Google have picked it up yet. I figure like people want to know who Barry and Stan yeah. are. They Google it. I will. Uh, here we go. Who are Barry and Stan? Life of the Caesars. <laughs> right. <laughs> Indulge me while I read this out, please. We often we often get asked who the hell are Barry and Stan. <laughs> and of course, that is the question that people have been asking for thousands of years. The names Barry and Stan turn up in hieroglyphs in Egyptian temples, in the mystery cults of ancient Greece, even in ancient Chinese legends. It seems like every culture in every era since the beginning of the earliest human scratchings on papyrus have been trying to answer this question. So where to start? From what we've been able to gather from our expensive research, I meant to write extensive, but then I wrote expensive and thought, yeah, that's fair. It's a, it's a Using thing. the latest modern investigative technologies and with the access only made available to the inventors of history podcasting, Barry mm-hmm. and Stan are probably the greatest geniuses in history, but you won't read about them in any history books because they like to stay behind the scenes. They it's are the invisible puppeteers of kings, emperors, generals, dictators, religious icons, CEOs, and cult leaders. Nice. We initially thought they started their PR slash advertising firm in ancient Rome around 30 BCE (laughs) after being evicted from the Senate by Augustus. But new evidence (laughs) suggests they have already been around for centuries at that time and have been constantly in demand ever since. There does seem to have been a third founding partner, but nobody can remember his name. Barry and Stan literally invented the concept of branding solutions, strategies, yeah. names, logos, spin, PR, advertising, marketing, social media, you name it, they invented it and continue to be the masters of the dark arts. You really shouldn't try to conquer or run an empire without them on your team. In fact, that's their agency's motto. Barry and Stan, don't try shit without us. Some of their best known marketing campaigns include the Virgin Birth, the cross right? the Christians still wear around their necks, telling Savonarola to sex up his speeches, the nasty swastika. They gave Stalin his moniker, named Syngman Rhee's political party, and later designed the South Korean flag. They invented quantitative easing and once even had a country named after them, Baryanstan, it boarded <laughs> Afghanistan. Stan ran the naming division of the firm for a while, which is why lots of countries have his name worked Stan. into them. Ego. They famously will work for anyone and any side, often both sides simultaneously, and have no morals except pay us in advance. Right. They discovered, or some say stole, a TARDIS at some point, and so have been able to work for an exclusive list of clients going back to ancient Greece, which is why they claim their agency was established in 331 BCE. (laughs) and they continue to work in the 21st century. They were the glue that held the Roman Empire together, often misunderstood, but in the end, their unsung efforts kept the empire intact far longer than it should have. I got that line from somebody on Facebook. Somebody else, oh, somebody wrote this next line as well. Same guy, I can't remember who it was. Josephus wrote a whole set of histories about them. While only fragments remain of these books, it is clear that they were key advertisers for multiple emperors. They coined and should have copywritten the phrase quid sit nocere, which is which like, is. what what harm? 
Uh, the last we heard, they were living on a private island somewhere in the South Pacific, snorting cocaine off of hookers' tits and drinking champagne cocktails while rolling around on beds made of gold coins. The only known evidence of their continued existence is the merch they unashamedly, unashamedly sell to help fund their coke habit. Yeah, Redbubble. Which is our, our coffee buck. Yeah, a coffee right. mug on Redbubble. Exactly. So that's the Barry yeah. and Stan story if anyone's wondering. The, the, ah, the, so the invisible hand of history. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, good. That's That'll be the subtitle of our Barry and Stan book that there we come out with. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, three word slogans they came up with. The first was kill Bin Laden. Right. Uh, when they couldn't Simple. find him. Direct. Because uh, right. they were working for Bin Laden, obviously. They, right. they worked <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, this is, it's the best when you come up with a, uh, you know, find Bin Laden, kill Bin Laden uh, mission for one side, and the other side is hide Bin Laden was the three right. word slogan they came up with for Pakistan. Oh. When they couldn't find him, they turned it into Stop the Taliban. That okay. was the three-word slogan. Right. And when they removed the Taliban, it was Give Them Democracy. Give Afghanistan Democracy. Yeah, I like that. Then Whether ISIS turned up. Oh, shit. And it became Stop ISIS, which that's a two-word slogan, even better than a three-word <laughs> slogan. They got paid double their usual fee for that one. It's like golf. <clears throat> the less, the better. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. I got you. And now, of course, the Taliban are back in control. Now, right. while most people understand today, I think, that the US is responsible in large part for creating the Taliban in the first place, mm-hmm. which 20 years ago, people didn't know that when this war started, I think. Um, right. I remember talking to people about this in the 90s, uh, how mm-hmm. the US created the Mujahideen and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and people would look at you like you had a tinfoil yeah. hat, the same way I look at anti-vax conspiracy theorists today. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but in this case, I'd, I'd read the history. Uh, most people hadn't read the history of it. It's, it's not a conspiracy theory if it's in a right. fucking book. <clears throat> of course, I think these days people know that, but I don't think most people, particularly most Americans and, and people all, all across the West, uh, the West know the full story. Right. So what I thought we'd do is, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask, as an American, I feel like I should come to our defense. Does it help uh, two two things? One, to say we're sorry. Two, we didn't mean to create Al-Qaeda. It was just one of those spinoffs. It's like you have a big hit and then there's spinoffs from that. We didn't mean to. We didn't see it coming. We're very sorry. You know, can we just start over again? But I I get the feeling your answer is going to be no. That's fine. Well, Look, it's yeah. it's like, um, you know, if when I go to go to a bar by myself, uh, get mm-hmm. really drunk, and right. um, you like know, this. fuck fuck some sleazy hoe, and, and if I say to Chrissy, <laughs> I, look, mean, I didn't mean, right. I didn't mean to, <laughs> didn't mean to fuck her, <laughs> right? It was you know, the alcohol. I just got, I just yeah. got really drunk at a bar, and she goes, "Yeah, but right. you know, that's what you said the last time you got drunk at a bar and <laughs> fucked a sleazy hoe, and the time before that, and the time before that, and okay. the time before that. Eventually, I you see. know, you would hope that I would yeah. realize that if I get drunk at a bar with my mates, I'm going to end up fucking a sleazy hoe. I right. can't. You can't use that as an excuse forever, right? Three times, maybe the first time. Okay. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> give me a number. No, no, you're right. You're right. It's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't give these guys 
the latest weapons that can take down air gunships. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't fund and train religious jihadi fundamentalists. You know, I'm just, I don't know. There's something, you know. If we do, and then you just hear me out, let's try not afterwards. Let's try not to piss them off. There's an idea. I'm not sure that that the pissing them off is the problem, but anyway. Well, if you go um, there and mess with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they went there and messed with it in the first place. That's the problem. It's not the second messing. It's the first messing. Right, the first. Right. Now, uh, of course, we'll go back and we'll talk about the uh, Soviet-Afghan war that happened from 1979 through to the late 80s, which everyone Mm -hmm. knows about is responsible for somewhere in the vicinity of one to two million deaths. The numbers are... Hard to nail down specifically, but I think what most people don't know is to what degree America was responsible for that war, not just the continuation of it. Right. uh, Because it was a little bit like uh, when North Korea walked into South Korea in 1950, that should have been over in weeks. Yes. It wasn't. It was extended for years because of the U.S. got involved and extended for mm-hmm. years. And, you know, there is an argument to be made that the death toll would have been a lot lower if the U.S. had just stayed the fuck out of it and right. let the Koreans work it out amongst themselves. Um, same thing here. If America had just stayed out of it, it probably all would have been over when the Soviets got involved in Afghanistan and, you know, wouldn't have taken 10 years. Maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. But we we know, and we'll go through this, that the U.S. deliberately extended, deliberately made it as difficult as possible for the Soviets in Mm. order to, as they said at the time, and we'll go through the quotes from the people who were there, to give the Soviet Union their own Vietnam. Exactly. Secondly, what most people still don't know, I think, is that the U.S. were involved before the Soviets invaded, mm. so and and were deliberately trying to cause the conditions that would force the Soviets to invade, and then right. would make it as difficult as possible for them to get out. Because as we're going to see, the Soviets did think long and hard. They knew it was a bad step. Uh, the potential, the downside was humongous for them, but they, they like others, thought, well, we'll go in, we'll get out. Uh, maybe we can make this work out. It didn't happen that way. But you're right, America was certainly setting a trap uh, for the Russian bear to try to, to try to get them to drag in and then obviously spend a lot of time and resources there. So they, hopefully they couldn't focus anywhere else. Yeah, and well, and also to stop them from you know, keeping that um, strategic ally in that part mm-hmm. of Central Asia. Right. So the, the version that most people have probably heard is that the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1979 and the Americans cleverly but covertly armed and supported the Mujahideen, which later turned into al-Qaeda and the Taliban to stop the Soviets. That is uh, a version of the story, but mm-hmm. it's not... The full version, if you read books like Charlie Wilson's War, which I did read when it first came out 25 years ago, and the film, the Tom Hanks film that came out uh, as a result of that, it's uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, I think that's when people started to really know about America's involvement for the first time. But again, this was a sanitized version of the story. And in fact, 
a lot of the yeah. deeper story didn't even emerge uh, until a few years after that book and the film came out. And we still don't know a lot about America's earlier involvement, but we'll get into that. Right. So the background to the Soviet-Afghan war is that Earlier in 1979, in January of 1979, the Soviets invaded in December. Back in January of 1979, the US lost their puppet government in Iran. Mm-hmm. Sure. Quick version. I've talked yeah. about this a lot on our shows over the years, but for people mm-hmm. that are listening for the first time, mm-hmm. in 1953, the CIA overthrew Mossadegh the democratically elected president of Iran, Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1951. Aww. That's nice. Because he wanted to nationalise their oil. This, Our um, oil. Not his yeah, oil. Well, the British, the British is oil in, in right, the view of the right. British. Thank you. Um, this is, uh, if, you, if you want to look it up, it's called Operation Ajax, A-J-A-X, CIA's Operation Ajax. The British had a different name for it. It was like... Operation Boots or something. Right. According to the CIA's declassified documents, um, they they did things like hiring some of the worst mobsters in Tehran to stage <laughs> riots yeah. uh, against Mossadegh and for the Shah. Right. Uh, they wanted to reinstate the, the Shah. Uh, the CIA also paid criminals to be brought in from on buses and trucks um, from all over Iran to take over the city, create, you know, take over the streets, create riots. And then they uh, used their money, the CIA used their money to create a lot of propaganda in the Western media and the Iranian media, blaming Mossadegh for the riots saying uh, that it was the communists that were doing the riots, that Mossadegh was a communist, uh, he, which he wasn't. Right. Uh, he was a nationalist. He, basically, yeah. the the British had, had signed a, an oil deal with an earlier Shah, and the, the Iranians were getting something like cents in the dollar on exactly. all of the oil revenues. Pathetic. Yeah. Iraq had just signed a deal with the US where they were getting 50 cents in the dollar for any oil that was pulled out of Iraq. Iran right. said, hey, can we can we renegotiate? The British said, fuck off. The deal's right. the deal. So Mossadegh said, well, fine, my people are starving. If, you, if you're not willing to come to the table, we'll just nationalise the oil interests. Yeah. And so uh, the, the British went to the, U, the US and said, hey, will you get rid of this guy for us? And they said, sure, no worries. Yeah. Could you flip this country for us, this government? Yeah. yeah. And it was Teddy Roosevelt's grandson, Kermit Roosevelt, that was in charge of the operation for the CIA. Anywho, wow. um, yes. Mossadegh was arrested, thrown into jail for life, and he was in his 70s at the time. So as it turned out, that wasn't going to be a long time anyway. Right. And they installed Pahlavi, the son of the previous Shah, who then for the next 25 years ran a brutal dictatorship. Then yes. there was a revolution in 1979 led by the Ayatollah Khomeini who threw out Pahlavi and the Americans and created an Islamic theocracy in Iran, which mm. survives to this very day. Right. So the US lost a key part of its Middle East strategy in uh, 1979 and yeah. therefore part of its Soviet containment strategy because <clears throat> Iran was one of the countries that sits on the border of the yeah. Soviet Union back then. If you look at a map of the world in 1979, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and we know, for you know, people who listen to our Coldwell show know all about George Kennan's containment strategy that mm-hmm. in the US were trying to basically surround the Soviet Union with missiles, um, and uh, Iran was a key part of that strategy. M- okay. Missiles and bases. Uh, you and probably. Only a few- I'm sorry. You probably oh. noticed the um, the uh, what was sort of the uh, consistency. Maybe um, you've got Sigmund Rhee and uh, South Korea, um, America's guy, brutal, corrupt, or whatever. You've got the the gentleman uh, and um, uh, Iran, and as we're going to see in Afghanistan, it's going to be a toss up between um, guys who uh, also are brutal. Uh, they're not doing what's best for their uh, for their nations, but maybe America can use them anyway. So, uh, but but I, what I think is very ironic is that. Yes, America loses an ally in Iran, but it's not exactly helping the Soviets too much unless they can get in good with these guys. It, but, you know, as you know, uh, communists and, and uh, countries that are run by religious leaders don't really get along very well. And there's going to be that threat as well in Afghanistan that's going to make the Russians nervous. So, again, it's a true, truly a quagmire for them. And America, as much as we trash the CIA, the America, uh, the CIA does a decent job of taking advantage of this very complicated situation that's going on in um, in Afghanistan, and it drags out for years. So one of the few times that CIA, while breaking rules, actually gets something quote unquote right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's one of it was one of the. Uh few CIA operations that they touted as a success for many years until right. 9-11 happened, and then they were like, whoops. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is this – they lost Iran in 1979. This is only a few years, obviously, after losing Vietnam to Ho Chi Minh's mm-hmm. communists. Right. They lost China to Mao in the early 50s. 49, uh, Yeah. Another country that borders the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. They lost North Korea to Kim in the early fifties. They lost Cuba to Castro in the late fifties. Yeah. yeah. So containment wasn't working very well. Uh, right. They were they were losing countries to communists left, right, and center. And well, you know, Ayatollah Khomeini wasn't a communist and hated the Soviets, but they lost the country to a religious right. theocracy. Exactly. So uh, they, uh, what other country did the USSR border in 1979? Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So this has become, when they lose Iran, what's going on in Afghanistan becomes much more important to the Americans than it had been previously in terms of their containment strategy of the Soviet Union. Right. Now, the Soviet Union had friendly relations with Afghanistan, mm-hmm. which had a secular government at the time. And the Soviets have been pretty friendly with them since about World War I. Right. But let's go back a step. So before the Soviets, who controlled mm-hmm. Afghanistan? The British were there for a while. Yes. Yes. The British, the British controlled it uh, for yeah. quite a long time, best, yes. better part of a century before mm-hmm. World War I. What right. was what was what was Britain's interest in Afghanistan at the time, Ray? Ooh, um, I don't. Is it is it specific uh, minerals or resources, or is it just a part of the British Empire? Or is it another way to check uh, the Russians who are playing, trying to play the great game of expanding their borders? Is my guess. Well, 
Yeah, I think it was mostly to do with uh, the Great Game, which was mm. sort of control of uh, Central Asia. Right. And it was to create a buffer zone between Imperial Russia and British India. You know, Their jewel, the crown jewel. Yeah. Yeah, Britain's colonial occupation of India. Mm. Um yeah. So uh, they actually, the British, this is carved out a big chunk of Afghanistan at one point and said, this is India now. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. This is the so-called Durand line. Right. Uh, named after the British uh, uh, bureaucrat who drew the line, you know, in, in the great tradition of Britain yeah. just drawing arbitrary lines <laughs> through countries and going, and, right, this is now a new country. naming it after themselves. I love that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and most Afghani yeah. people weren't very happy about this because most Afghanis then as now were Pushtani people, mm -hmm. and, which is the largest uh, ethnic group in Central Asia, an Iranian ethnic group. Right. And this, this, this Duran line basically ran down the middle of Pushtani land. Mm -hmm. But yeah. the British are like, who? What? We don't give a what? fuck. Are you it's white? No. So shut the fuck it. up. Yeah, I already drew it. it it's in pen. Sorry. I can't erase Only white it. White people get uh, get to get a say in this. Uh, and in fact, they didn't ask. They didn't. Right. They didn't consult. They just drew a line and said, "This is now India." Yeah. It was like the Munich Agreement. They weren't invited to the meeting of the drawing on the on the map. They weren't even in yeah. the room. Yeah. No. Uh, what are you? Are you white? No. Doesn't matter. So then. Um, Amanullah Khan ascended to the throne of Afghanistan in 1919 and took the opportunity. He thought Britain was weak at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, they were weak from World War One. Uh, their Indian troops were still returning home, and he invaded British India. Uh, this is called the Third Anglo-Afghan War. Didn't yeah. last very long, a couple of months, short series of battles, Right. The British probably could have persevered and fought long term, but they agreed to an armistice pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And part of that armistice was granting Afghanistan its full independence. Right, right. There were slight modifications made to the uh, location of the Durand line, but not much. Mm -hmm. King Amanullah then wrote to Lenin, who uh, was also fighting the British and was in the middle of the Russian Civil War right. and said, hey, how about it? Hey. How about we hey, uh, mm, team up? <laughs> yeah. We could buy buds. We become Vegas buds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to smoke so some right buds with my buds <laughs> in Vegas. And Lennon yeah. replied by saying, fuck yes, let's get it on. Yeah. Sang some Barry yeah, White, made some exactly. candles. Ooh, yeah. And Afghanistan and the Soviet Union uh, finalized uh, uh, a treaty of friendship in 1921. Right. So Russia is going to act, even though Russia, the Russian communist government is obviously new as well. At least Russia has been a country for a while. So it's going to act as a political uh, mentor to this to this newly independent country, and yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna swap oil and gas, uh, oil and natural gas. The Russians are gonna send military advisors and try to bring them up to snuff. So again, this is a very mutual, as far as I can tell, a beneficial relationship between these two countries. Yeah, and obviously Afghanistan had had a lot of issues with uh, Imperial Russia, but mm -hmm. this is yes. now 
Soviet Russia, which yeah. is different kettle of fish. And yeah. they're you all about- You do you, comrade. You do you, yeah. comrade. Yeah. They're all about letting people do their own thing, <laughs> at least at that point. Right. Now, the Soviets obviously saw possibilities in an alliance with Afghanistan against the United Kingdom, who mm-hmm. were supporting the white faction, as I mentioned, in the Russian Civil War. Right. And they thought that they could use Afghanistan as like a, a base for defending themselves against British-controlled India. Yeah. Now, the relationship between the Soviet Union and Afghanistan continued up until the late 1970s. After the British colonial uh, occupation of India ended mm-hmm. and Pakistan was formed, so after World War II, Pakistan right. was formed bordering Afghanistan along the Durand Line and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. The United States jumped on the chance to sell arms to Pakistan and refused yeah. to sell Afghanistan weapons because right. they were friendly with the Soviet Union. That sort of pushed Afghanistan, who was officially neutral during the Cold War, but pushed them closer to the Soviet Union and to India. Soviet Union was willing to sell them weapons. So then in 1962, China defeated India in a border war. And as a result, China formed an alliance with Pakistan against Mm -hmm. their common enemy, India, which, you know, helped uh, divide China and the Soviet Union even further, pushed Afghanistan right. even closer to the Soviet Union. So all of this stuff is going on. Yeah. It's a, it's a bunch of various power plays, but uh, everybody knows, and if you keep this kind of tension up, you're either going to need your own military or you're going to need a big brother. And Afghanistan is, you know, relatively poor, whatever, so it's going to need a big brother. So it knows where it's, uh, where it loyal, its loyalty needs to lie if it wants to survive. Exactly. So the prime minister of Afghanistan in the 60s was a guy by the name of Dawood Khan, Muhammad Dawood Khan. He was um, a prince of the realm. The mm-hmm. king was his uh, cousin. Nice. Um, but he was a pretty progressive guy, Dawood Khan. He was trying to uh, pull Afghanistan into the 20th century, <laughs> right? pushing for the emancipation of women. Um, try to push for greater literacy and those sorts of things, higher levels of education, mm-hmm. trying to modernize Afghanistan, yeah. um, which is difficult because then, as now, it was a very religious country, uh, you know, lo- very yeah. conservative Islamic uh, tradition. Mm-hmm. But he's doing his best to try and pull it into the 20th century. Uh, as, you know, Stalin was trying to do in the Soviet Union um, in the first 20, 30 years of of his uh, rule. Right. Uh, But Khan also wanted to get rid of the Durand line and unite all of the Pushtani people again. Uh, Maybe for cynical political reasons, maybe it was a land grab, maybe, you know, there's a whole bunch of explanations for why he wanted to do it. Uh, So he started a number of border battles with Pakistan, Pakistan, again, is being supported by the United States at the time. Yes. And he lost several, several times. wars yeah. Yeah, over the course of the 60s. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it gets it gets worse than that. So after these couple of uh, military defeats, Pakistan uh, knows uh, how to punish uh, people just like any other country. So they stopped trading with them. And now Afghanistan is hurting uh, economically. So this certainly is not working out uh, for the prime minister. And he better. You mean Afghanistan is hurting. Afghanistan. Afghanistan yes. is hurting economically. Exactly. I apologize. Afghanistan's hurting. So so what turned out to be hopefully a very good thing is now turned out to be military defeats and a ruptured economy. Things are not going very well for Khan. So Khan gets fired by his cousin, the king. Can you do that? A few years, yeah. Yeah. A few Sorry. years later, um, well, you know, when you're a part of a royal family like that, oh, get, getting right. fired is the best best <laughs> outcome for you. <laughs> <laughs> Usually. Normally a beheading, yeah. a dungeon, yeah. uh, here's, you here's a pistol. Uh, here's a yeah. lunch that we're having here's in your l- honor. <laughs> One of those comes up later on. Um, Sorry. So then in 1973, Khan leads a mostly bloodless coup while the king was in Italy for medical treatment and oh. he seizes power. The king goes into exile in Italy. And that effectively ends more than two centuries of the Durrani Empire, which had started in 1747. King, by the way, lives forever. He only died like a few years ago. Wow. Um, After, well, um, 10 years ago. When they went after uh, the the United States uh, liberated Afghanistan from the Taliban, he went back to the country and moved into his old palace. Again, you can do like, it. Like uh, forty years there, later, right? Yeah, they I said, would... "Oh, hey, have a palace." <laughs> Karzai, America's yes, puppet yes. Uh, president, said, "Here, come stay in the stay in the palace." And anyway, he so passed away. Khan is back. Khan. So Khan is back, but Khan doesn't make himself Khan. Khan. That's what the I king knew you were did. Going to do that, Khan. You've got to come down here, Khan. If you want, anyway, we got to watch the movie now. Yeah. So Khan is. Did back. you see? Yeah. Did you see William Shatner on the spaceship on the blue saw fucking on, Jeff Bezos ship? Yeah, uh, oh. I saw some of it. Oh God, it's so beautiful. Oh God, oh my God. I, <laughs> well, no one gave him a script. If if band band if Starian shit, I can't even talk now. Stan and Barry had given, had given him a script. He could have said something amazing, something worth memorizing or writing or getting tattooed on your ass. Oh. But no one did. So he just, oh, oh. I think oh. it was great. It was perfect. It was like, and it was like his orgasm tape. I, I play it now his when Chrissy orgasm. and I are getting it on. I just play it in the background. Oh God, it's so beautiful. I, oh my God. I did see where he came back down and he said, "Gotta tell you, the Earth is round." I checked it out myself. So for all you flat earthers, it's round. You've heard it's it from William Shatner himself. Yes. Yeah. So instead of declaring himself uh, the king or the Shah, Khan right. proclaimed himself the first president of the Republic of Afghanistan. Right. That's good. Right. Progress. Progress. Yeah. He wanted to modernize Afghanistan, as I said. Um, did, did he apologize to Pakistan? Look, I'm sorry about all that kerfuffle. Uh, yeah, kind of. They, they right? he, he kind of forgot about the whole getting rid of the Duran line thing. Um, had bigger issues to deal with, I think. Right. So during the seventies, though, he, he tried to modernize Afghanistan. He also tried to reduce Afghanistan's reliance on the Soviet Union. 
very practical, I think. He, I think he was inspired a lot by Tito in Yugoslavia. Ah, uh, this, being his this own position. Man. Yeah. yeah, I think it was like this position, like the non-aligned movement stuff. He's like, hey, listen. Thank um, you. My name is Paul, on. and this the is tra- between y'all. <laughs> it's- we will. We want to trade with everyone. In fact, right. he used to he used to say that he was the happiest when he could light his American cigarettes with Soviet matches. <laughs> Good line, right? I like that. Yeah, I want to trade with. Every, I want to date. I want to date everybody. Yeah. I mean, I love yeah. you. I'll never forget yeah. you. You were the first, yeah. but yeah, I want to play the field. Well, it worked Economic. for Tito, right? It worked right, for yeah. Tito. You, you, yeah. you just go, hey, listen, I'm not getting involved in this. Uh, you know, yeah. I, 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 I'm going to sit in the middle and right. we'll all be happy. Options. Uh, he, ma- he made nice with the Saudis, with Iran, and with Egypt, which was a bit worrying to the Soviet Union uh, because they right. just sort of lost Egypt uh, uh, a few years earlier as mm-hmm. part of their realm. He also right. stacked his government with uh, Pashtuns, though, which upset the non-Pashtun minorities right. in Afghanistan, yeah. which is a familiar story in this part of the world, right? We, we've we seen this in our Syria series. Yes. We've seen this, you know, we've talked about Iraq. Yeah. yeah we, we've seen this in Iran. You know, there's all when you've got these um, countries that do have, we saw this in Yugoslavia, in our podcast about them on the Cold War series, mm. when you have mm. these countries with ancient um, racial or religious tensions Grudges? and hatreds, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very hard to keep it evenly balanced. And if one group is perceived to have more power than the other group, the other group, you know, isn't happy yeah. and they're all it's fighting dangerous. all this kind of stuff. It's difficult. Right. It's very difficult. Yes, yes. But then he invited NATO into the country. Oh. Uh, and NATO started setting up bases in the northern part of Afghanistan, right next to the border with the Soviet oh, Union. Holy now, shit. Yes. N- now, that is um, a uh, waving a red flag to a bull. Right. Provocative. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this yes. is the first step. You know, and when I say NATO, NATO is obviously the United States. Right. Uh, so you're welcome. Yeah, the United States basically had managed to set up military bases mm-hmm. on the border of the Soviet Union in Afghanistan, but the Soviets did nothing. Right, right. They complained. This is Leonid Brezhnev at the time. I think was the premier of the mm-hmm. Soviet Union. They right. didn't do anything. They didn't react. They just said, "Hey, dude, come on, not not no, cool." Not cool. Not <laughs> cool, dude. What the fuck? Not cool. What are you doing? I thought we were buds. I thought we were friends. Right. They, uh, they, com- they probably complained in the uh, United Nations as is proper, the proper channels. But yeah, they didn't launch any atomic weapons. Good for them. Well, there were Soviet bases in Afghanistan. And mm-hmm. NATO was like, well, you know, quid pro quo. Yeah. You got their base. Right. You got to have our bases. And But, you know, it's on the border of the Soviet Union, obviously. So they're not right. very happy about that. It's like putting then missiles it, in Cuba. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no problem. No one, no one had any issues with that. <laughs> then in April 1978, an Afghani communist intellectual, Mir Akbar Khyber, mm-hmm. was assassinated. Oh, not good. Right. The persons or persons responsible for it have never been identified. Mm-hmm. 
But the communists in Afghanistan at the time, the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, the PDPA, right. which was Khyber's party, blamed mm-hmm. Daoud Khan's government. They started marching through the streets, oh, changing shit. slogans against the CIA and Savak, the Shah of Iran's secret police. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, you know, as I said, April 1978, uh, eight months before the overthrow of the Shah. Uh, yeah. Khan then cracked down on the PDPA, tried to arrest all of the leadership, got some, some escaped. Right. Which prompted the PDPA to launch a coup against his government, known as the Sour Revolution which was successful. Uh, Dowd and his entire family were killed and thrown into unmarked graves and the PDPA took power. All extended members of the royal family were rounded up and killed. The only ones that escaped, as far as Mm -hmm. I'm aware, were one of Dowd's daughters and Mm. Prince Ali Abdul Suraj, a great-grandson of the 19th-century Emir Abdul Rahman Khan, who managed to get out of Afghanistan with his wife and child by disguising themselves as hippies and joining a bus full of Australian hash smokers. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. We're not monkeying around. Hey, whatever works. Whatever works. I love it. He's like, yeah. I want to see him put on his best Australian accent dressed up as a hippie. <laughs> While he's speaking whatever language. Yeah, so this was on April 27th, 1978, when the, the leader and his family are killed. And you're right. So now the the, the communists who are have split off into two branches, and we can go into that or not, are now the ones that are in charge. Yeah. So, uh Yeah. Let's see here. What's next? What are we doing? 40 minutes. Hmm. So the PDPA takes power. This is the Communist mm-hmm. Party in Afghanistan. Uh, and they they sort of pick up where Khan left off. They're, they're, they're very progressive. They're yeah. trying to modernise uh, Afghanistan. They declare equal rights for women, complete equality of the sexes. Yes. Um, they allowed women to dress however they liked. There's one Love woman it. who I've read about, Anahita Ratzbad, Ra- mm-hmm. Ratzbad. She was right. a major Marxist-Leninist leader at the time and a member of the Revolutionary Council. She wrote a very famous uh, piece in the New Kabul Times in 1978, May 28, <laughs> 1978, where she said, privileges which women by right must have are equal education, job security, health services, and free time to rear a healthy generation for building the future of the country. Educating wow. and enlightening women is now the subject of close government attention. Women had already been granted freedoms in the 1964 constitution that Dowd Khan brought in, but the PDPA mm-hmm. went further and declared full equality. They right. also were pushing for land reform, greater literacy. They banned usury. They allowed alcohol. It was, uh, you know, good times. Good times in Afghanistan. 
But everything you just said, if I and I and I'm not judging, I'm just saying, including uh, promoting Afghan ethnic minorities, like you were saying, uh, literacy, trying to improve that throughout the country, not just one group. But if I am a religious conservative, you have just pushed all all of my buttons with everything you just said. And so, yeah, there's going to be a little there's going to be a little um, reaction, if you will, to that. So so their heart is in the right place now. Correct me if I'm wrong. I read somewhere that they really didn't call themselves communists, even though they were obviously pro-Soviet. But I don't think it really matters. I think they saw a couple of hundred years of a king and a short time as a republic. And they're just trying to bring their country into the modern age. This is what you do. This is how you treat your women. This is how you treat your kids, whatever. It doesn't matter which with ethnic group you're part of. And they're just trying to do that. But considering the region that they're in, it's pretty ballsy of them to try to do this uh, just with just like one giant sweep of reforms. Uh, pr- pretty heady stuff. Well, yes, but you've got to remember that by 1978, um, mm-hmm. they, you know, Dowd Khan before them uh, had been talking about reforming the country for decades. Laying the uh, groundwork, right? Yeah, but it just wasn't happening. It, you know, yeah, there was a gotcha. lot of talk about it, but it wasn't happening. Yeah. It was too slow. He was getting stopped by the religious minorities. Right. And these guys sort of, you know, obviously tried to step it up several notches. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, listen, it's the fucking late 70s, man. Van Halen's <laughs> first album just came out. <laughs> we put a man you know, on the moon. How many yeah, years kisses, ago? Come on. Kisses come out on. there. Disc, there <laughs> discotheques everywhere in the United States. Like... The balls drop down. They're lit up. It's awesome. Can we at it's least awesome. teach our women to read? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, they're like, fuck this shit. We need to step this up a notch. I don't care what the religious nut jobs are saying. We're going to make right. this happen. It's time. Right? It's past time. Yeah. Yeah. It's past yeah. time that we that right. we caught up with the rest of the world. And we're not going to take no for an answer. We don't give a shit if you don't like it. This is how it's going to be. Now, Right. The story is that they were probably quite brutal in shutting down opposition. There, yeah. are, uh, but you know, th- there was brutality on, as always, on both sides. Fine, lots Absolutely. of very fine people on both sides, as your <laughs> former president would say. By mid nineteen seventy eight, an Islamic fundamentalist rebellion was starting to get underway. This is the Mujahideen. Yeah. They uh, were starting against the. They were fighting against the reforms. Uh, rebels were uh, attacking guerrilla-style military garrisons, mm-hmm. and a civil war started to spread throughout the country. Imagine, you know, ISIS. Uh, imagine if fifty percent of your population were <laughs> right. fundamentalist huh. uh, is Muslims. I can't. I can't relate. And uh, to that. you know. With yeah. overnight, they're you know rallied up to uh, fight. Yeah, you know, you guys had one. You had one terrorist attack, and you lost your fucking minds and spent twenty years <laughs> invading countries and spending trillions of dollars, killing millions of people. 
Imagine roads. if you had your entire country was uh, this was going on. Well, I mean, don't don't count us out yet because roughly forty or whatever percent of the people um, want to break away. So we might still get a just a good old fashioned civil war right here in this country, just like what's going on in Afghanistan. So it starts out as a rebellion, it spreads, and in not too much uh, time after that, yeah, there's a full-fledged civil war going throughout uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. So the PDP, PDPA did what any government would do in the middle of a civil war as they yeah. Yeah. started rounding up uh, prisoners. Uh, were there tortures? Were there executions? Uh, yes, uh, yeah. it certainly seems that way. Mostly of fundamentalist Islamic religious terrorists. Right. Um, now, uh, you know, does that make things better or worse when you start arresting and torturing fundamentalist uh, religious uh, martyrs. Uh, I no. think we've got enough evidence behind us now to say, yeah, that doesn't help. It, it makes it worse. They want to be martyrs. Yeah, from what I could tell, somewhere in this short period of the rebellion morphing into a civil war, something somewhere between 10,000 and 27,000 people were killed. Uh, so, yeah, they grabbed people off the streets, tortured them, killed them, trying to crack down on this. But like you said, they're, they're religious fundamentalists and they probably see themselves as martyr. They want to pay the ultimate price for their God and they're not stopping anytime soon. Well, it, it literally was uh, a civil war brewing. Mm -hmm. I mean, Yes, who that's true. you know were they rounding up innocent civilians and executing them? Probably not. Were they rounding up? Uh, were all of them terrorists armed with AK forty sevens? Probably not. Yes. Did they overstep right. or, or 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 were they? I don't know. I mean, it's it, with all it's as with all of these things, it's it's yeah. very messy. It's exactly anyway. Yeah. Uh, story is that then the the Mujahideen went over the Durand line into Pakistan where they were warmly greeted by um, the president of Pakistan at the time, President Ziel Haq. Mm -hmm. The Mujahideen at the time were being led by a guy called Hek Matyar uh, who went on to become the president of Afghanistan in the 90s in several occasions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, it started off, I think it was about 5,000 rebels went over in January 1979 and then tens of thousands followed. They ended up building wow. a massive uh, rebel base over there. Yeah. And, you know, so then when uh, the CIA finally allegedly found Osama bin Laden in Pakistan mm -hmm. and people are like, wow, Pakistan was hiding uh, a Mujahideen. Shock! Uh, Gasp. Like, who would have? Who would have known that? I'm, uh, I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And, and and I don't want to step on your toes. Can I say something about September 1979, or is that still too far ahead? Way too far ahead. Oh, then I apologize. Yeah. So Pakistan so sees an opportunity to arm these guys and to give um, Afghanistan a little payback for the troubles they caused with the border excursions? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now, as I said earlier, yeah. Pakistan was an ally of the United States, was You're being right. armed and trained by the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to believe that the United States were very aware of what Pakistan was doing in terms yes. of 
training and arming these Mujahideen and mm-hmm. allowed them to do it. Didn't stop them to do it. In fact, as we'll see later on, they were all for it. Now, yeah. Um, one thing that we know, because we've mm-hmm. done a series on the CIA now on our Cold mm-hmm. War show, is that when the CIA funds a group of terrorists or mm-hmm. a group of militants or whatever you want to say. Freedom fighters. Thank you. Sometimes they do it directly. Right. But usually they do it indirectly. It's yeah. off Bag the man. books. Bagman. Well, Third, well, it's done it's done through yeah. fronts. Like um right. on our Cold War show. Uh-huh. Uh we just interviewed Michael Holtzman, two parts on spies and traders. Right. And we, we were again telling the story that we've told previously on the Cold War show about how in the late 40s, when the US wanted to throw the Italian election or win the Italian election for the right. Vatican mm-hmm. party, yeah. uh, right. they funded uh, the, the pro-American, uh, pro-capitalist, pro-Vatican political mm-hmm parties and politicians there at the time. But A, the CIA didn't have any funds at the time because they were brand new to do it, legitimate funds. And B, they didn't want to be seen to be interfering in the election of another country, democratic elections of another country. Right. So they concocted this scheme where they gave money to uh, a a lot of um, Italian-Americans who then gave that money, donated it to the Vatican as like a charity thing and they put a special code on their donation forms and then the Vatican gave it to the political parties. So it was hidden from- Yeah, layered. Hidden from Americans at home and hidden from the international community. And and the CIA also took money out of the um, Marshall Plan funds and funds associated with the Marshall Plan for Mm -hmm. bribing politicians and criminals and all this kind of stuff. And it worked. Well, it won't. But the point is that mm-hmm. uh, you know when the C- when the U.S. is funding Pakistan and Pakistan is funding the Mujahideen, right? You know you don't have to be too clever to to join the dots there. But there's right. plausible deniability. The U.S. could go, hey, there's hey, enough. yeah, not, not, we didn't do it. We just no, gave the money to the guy who gave them the money, right? That's right. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but then in February 1979. Mm-hmm. The U.S. ambassador in Afghanistan, Adolf Dubbs, don't know how right. you get anywhere as an American with the name Adolf, <laughs> Adolf, but still. Andy, could you switch it to Andy? Can I call you Andy? Yeah. I feel a lot more comfortable. Something. I'd be changing my fucking name. His name was Andy, and he changed it to Adolf. That's badass. That's the oh that's the God. funny thing. Yeah, it's like Adolf Harris. Care. Hi, I'm Adolf Harris. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Uh, he was kidnapped. <laughs> right, right. The U.S. ambassador in Kabul was kidnapped. Oh, that's not good. Now, obviously, this is coming straight after the uh, embassy in Tehran, the occupation of the embassy in Tehran, right. all that stuff's going on. Right. So Jimmy Carter is dealing with uh, the embassy that. in Iran, and then yeah. in the embassy in Kabul, his ambassador gets kidnapped. Oh, um, shit. 
He was being driven from his residence to the embassy about 9 a.m. on February 14th, 1979, which was exactly mm-hmm. the same day the militants attacked the embassy in Tehran. Coordinated, uh, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> right. Uh, four men stopped his car, an armoured black Chevrolet limousine, Some accounts say that they were wearing Afghan police uniforms. Other accounts Mm -hmm. say that only one of them was wearing a police uniform. Anyway, they told him to wind down his windows, which were bulletproof. The ambassador's driver complied. No, you know. Not much point having bulletproof (laughs) windows if you're going to. Don't roll down the windows. I don't care what they say, especially if they say roll down the window. Sorry. Roll down sorry. the windows, please, sir. Uh, sorry, no. That's the whole point <laughs> Gonna have to give of it a my mess. windows. Right, right. Anyway. They then uh, pointed a gun at the driver and forced him to take dubs to uh, the Kabul Serena Hotel in downtown Kabul. Mm-hmm. Now, he was held in a room on the first floor, room 117, and the driver was sent to the U.S. Embassy to tell the U.S. what had happened. Right. This is good serious. <sighs> Yeah. Now, the abductors, whoever they were, uh, demanded that the Afghanistani government release political prisoners. Right. The US urged the Afghani government not to try and rescue Dubs uh, because they were worried that he might get killed in a shootout. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they said just, uh, just you know, give them what they want. Uh, oh, yeah. The PDPA said we don't negotiate with terrorists. There's a line that Barry and Stan came up with, by the way, for them. Um, right. And they occupied the hotel anyway, the Afghani police, mm. supposedly on the advice of Soviet officials. Uh, a few hours later, a shot was heard in room 117. They stormed the room, lots of gunfire, and Dubs was found dead at the end of it, killed Shit. by shots to the back of the head from a distance of about six inches. Damn. Uh, two of his abductors were captured alive but shot shortly afterwards, executed. Right. Oh, no loose ends. No loose ends. Yeah. Before they yeah. could be interrogated, yeah. they were like shot. Jack Ruby. Which, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is dodgy. Stand- stand- <laughs> standard and dodgy all at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. As I thought you were going to say Stan came up with that one. It, it was. It was. Stan was in charge of assassinations and uh, his, <laughs> Very nick- his nickname was uh, yeah. The Cleaner, Mr. Wolf. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, his job Cleaner? was to. Yeah. Clean just, up the mess. Yeah. Just tell me what you need. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, an autopsy, yeah, showed that he'd been shot in the head from a distance of six inches. So probably not killed in the firefight. They executed right. him and, uh, you know, when, yeah. I guess they must have known that the Afghanis weren't going to succumb to their uh, demands. Uh, and just decided yeah. to execute the guy. Now, the the identity of the abductors is still up in the air. No one knows who right. they are. 
and the, the, the whole abduction and the assassination has never really been explained. There's a whole bunch of theories, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, some blame the government, the Afghani government, for doing it. Right. Some blame the CIA for doing it, why the CIA would want to execute their ambassador, I'm not exactly sure. But, hey, I wouldn't put it past them. No. Uh, no. The CIA killed their own people enough times, like the uh, doctor who was going to spill the beans on their drug trials. They suicided him. So, you know, anything could happen. (laughs) The Americans, of course, blamed the Soviets and said that it was a deliberate attempt to poison the U.S.-Afghanistan relationship, so the Soviets would have complete power over the government. Right. Mm. Uh, anyway, the government, which was led by Nur Muhammad Taraki, he was the head of the PDPA government at the time, refused mm. U.S. requests for an investigation into the death, and the U.S. State Department uh, classified Dubs's death as a significant terrorist incident. Well, Taraki is busy at the moment. I mean, you could throw someone on it, but like you said, you you, n- you never know who's where someone's loyalty is going to lie to people that killed him who are now dead. So, yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. He's got bigger fish to fry at this particular moment. Well, uh, yeah, of course, the country's in turmoil, but yeah. still you would think you'd try and keep the Americans happy by at least saying, sure, 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 mean- we'll have an investigation, yeah. yeah. Who are those guys that investigated Kennedy's assassination? Get them over here. I like those guys. Find me a lone wolf I can blame it on Yeah, uh, with links to someone and we're all good. And a magic bullet. Yeah. Just to wrap up this episode, uh, because we're getting towards an hour, I think, um, Mm. when Vasily Matrokin, um, the the KGB archivist, uh, 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 what do you call it? when they uh, changed sides, defected. Right. When he yep. defected, uh, he brought a lot of documents with him that he'd handwritten oh. based on stuff that he'd seen. This is in the 1990s. Right. He said that um, the KGB advisor in Afghanistan at the time, Sergei Batrukin, mm-hmm. may have recommended the assault as well as the execution of the kidnappers before the U.S. could interrogate them. Right. Um, also suggested, Matrokin this was, that there was a fourth kidnapper who escaped Mm-mm. and the body of a freshly killed prisoner was put in the room as a substitute to show the Americans wow. who the fourth kidnapper was. We don't know. We don't know who any of them were, but... It's like a great scene for a film, isn't it? You just yes. let the guy out, put a dead body there. No, oh, that guy, I don't know who he was. Yeah. Which I still suspect that's what the US did with Osama bin Laden. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because they never let anyone see the body, no inspections no. of the body, burial at sea. Right. Yeah, Convenient. oh, no, 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 we got yeah. him. Yeah, we Definitely killed him. him. Yeah. Definitely, Definitely killed him. him. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yes. yeah. You're yeah, welcome, yeah. by the yeah, way. Yeah, thank you. So. Yeah, we definitely got him. Yeah, it's all good now. <laughs> yeah, all solved. For all those ghosts. Yeah. But uh, obviously Carter and the Americans were very upset about their ambassador being executed. Yeah. And this is officially when the US started shipping arms to the Mujahideen. Mm. 
and slashed aid programs to Afghanistan, stepped right. up the level of their involvement with Pakistan. And again, this is February 1979. The, the Soviet invasion was in December, the following right. December. So to wrap up this episode, uh, the, the Mujahideen were being armed and trained uh, and supported by Pakistan that was a U.S. ally. So mm-hmm. we have good reason to believe the Americans knew all about that and were supporting it, Yeah, uh, either tacitly or implicitly. You know, maybe it was just like, yep, good job, keep it going. It was like, here's, yeah. a, here's another couple of million dollars yeah. for these guys. Um, right. Make it, make it good. Don't, don't mention our names. <laughs> keep it going. Yeah. Um, and then they started directly supporting the Mujahideen as well, a good 10 months before the Soviets invaded. And we'll be back with part two of this show uh, on the next episode.